0: The Wheel of Crime podcast is a true crime podcast that discusses graphic and explicit topics that some listeners may find disturbing or offensive. The crimes depicted in today's episode will be particularly gruesome and disgusting, and the occasional F-bomb will fly. Listener discretion is advised. I never
1: had a drink. A little boy without a drink. That's
0: me. A reign of terror that no one knew had been perpetrated by a simple, uneducated man living in Texas came to an end on the first day of the new millennia. In the middle of the night, on the morning of January 1st, 2000, death came to the Harris home in the form of a drunken, remorseless killer. In through the window crawled a scuffy, mullet-wearing man, hellbent on murder. In through the window he crept and made his way to the room where he knew a young girl was sleeping. Kayleen Harris, who was 13, was having a friend, Crystal Searles, who was 10, over that night. The intruder slipped next to the girl on the bottom bunk, his intended target, and with ease began slicing at her clothing. The girl jumped out of the bed and struggled with the man, but before she could react, he reached up and sliced her throat as she stared into the face of her best friend, who was watching, terrified, from the top bunk. The girl fell where she stood. And he turned to leave, but not before taking one more look at the, wor- at the room. And then he saw her. He shut the door, moved back to the bed, and told the girl to move her hands before he sliced her throat, cutting her vocal cords. He thought she was dead. And then he turned to leave, slipping out of the home as quickly as he'd come. He got his taste of blood and, for now, was satiated. Little did he know this would be his last. Little did he know that it would be a child that would bring about his ultimate downfall.
1: This is the real crime of the time. We can't build
0: Welcome to the Wheel of Crime podcast for episode number four about famous serial killers. I'm your host, Megan, and today we're going to dive into a listener suggested case. Today's suggestion comes from Sean Riddle of Indianapolis, my dad, who suggested that we cover the case of Tommy Lynn Cells. Now the name is vaguely familiar to me, uh, but I had no idea uh, the magnitude of the rabbit hole I was about to go down. Um, so with that, I'm going to issue a warning to all listeners right now. If you are offended by graphic descriptions of murder, and in particular child deaths, please turn back now. I didn't intend on picking another child killer for discussion, but it seems to be falling that way. I think I think the wheel's out to get me, honestly. Um, so anyway, the listener discretion has been issued, so here we go. Um, now, in doing my research on cells, the one thing that kept coming back to me was that um getting all the details together and getting them right was like picking up soup off the floor with my fingers a lot of different people um they told the vague description of the story but they got a lot of the smaller minute details wrong or they would just differ um but there's so much ground to cover with these with this man's crimes and what he did his background and everything he was a transient he train hopped from state to state for a while and according to him he killed more people than he could even keep count of uh, he said in several interviews that I wasn't Billy the kid and didn't put a notch on my belt with each killing because that's I guess what people did back then uh, for him killing gave him a high like dope he said um, murder was his drug of choice and he chased that dragon until he just couldn't see that dragon anymore it wasn't even about the dragon at one point he said uh, and this wasn't a typical murderer either. And I think that's probably why uh, my dad suggested this. Because with certain other serial killers, you have victimologies. You have a certain way that they do it. Um, he didn't have any particular MO uh, or a victimology like Gary Ridgway, who murdered mainly sex workers and then disposed of them in one particular area. Or even like Ted Bundy, who mainly targeted uh, young women with long, dark hair, parted in the middle. Uh, cells killed whoever he wanted, whenever he wanted for whatever reason he wanted to. If somebody looked at him wrong, they disrespected him. They gotta die. He wasn't somebody who understood words like respect, love, or even sorry. And according to him, when you see him, you see hate. He has no remorse for what he did. He's, he wasn't sorry. He isn't sorry. There. But his crimes were just nasty. Okay. Uh, So the first interview of this, um, of this series of him that I watched, I guess you could call it a series. You get on YouTube and you get so much stuff, so much information. Um, And he did give a lot of interviews. Um, But after listening to him talk, it struck me right away that this was a narcissistic type of man who sought to control everything. He wanted to run the interviews. He wanted to manipulate the listener's idea of him. He even went so far as to say, um, at, at one point he couldn't escape the visions of the murders and he hears the screams in his head as if it were torture every night um, like we should feel sorry for a man like that that caused all that pain and havoc. Um, but he was saying this as if he was a real human being with real human being feelings instead of a monster without a conscience like he really was he uh, he can't sit there and try to make somebody feel sorry for him and then in the same breath say oh, he wasn't sorry for anything he did I mean, this is truly evil personified and again I have to ask the question, like I did with Steve and Judy, was this nature or was this nurture? Would he have been a murderer had his life been different? Had he had love as a child or stable home life? Maybe, but some psychopaths aren't created. Uh, Some are just born that way. So we have to dive into their past a little bit for more answers. So put your boots on because this is about to get really deep. Okay, so Tommy Lynn Sells was a twin. He and his sister, Tammy Jean, were born on June 28th, 1964. June 28th is the day before my birthday. Mm -hmm. Uh, In Oakland, California. Nina Sells was a single mother who had already uh, had three other children when the twins were born and they ended up moving to St. Louis, Missouri, I think with family. Uh, When the twins were 18 months old, they contracted spinal meningitis, but Tammy didn't survive. Soon after that, he went to live with his aunt, Bonnie, and stayed with her until the age of five when his mother came back into the picture after discovering that Bonnie wanted to adopt him. She wanted nothing to do with Bonnie, and she just didn't want Bonnie to have Tommy, so she pretty much severed that tie, um, I think, out of jealousy. Um, He had said that that was the happiest time of his life when he was with his aunt. He had stability and love. His mother was not what one would ever call nurturing. She didn't spend any time with her children, and sure as hell didn't care what they did. Uh, He was often left alone to care for himself, rarely attended school, and reportedly started drinking by the age of seven or eight. That sounds eerily reminiscent of the first case that we did. But seven or eight years old, and you're drinking alcohol? What the fuck is going on? What is going on in these people's lives that they aren't paying attention to their kids? Good God. So anyway, it was around this time in his life he started hanging out with a man in a town nearby. And this man showed him a lot of attention. Um, something that he at such a young age really desperately needed. Uh, so he would sleep over to this guy's house. The man would give him gifts and take him places. And I think we all see where this is going. Turns out this guy was the neighborhood mo, And he had been molesting cells um, since he was 8 years old. And it was no surprise that soon after this his behavior just got completely worse. He stayed in trouble all the time and stopped going to school by the age of 10. And listening to him talk, you can tell he's not an educated man. Um, when he was 13, he climbed in, He climbed into his grandmother's bed naked. Um, and this was like the last straw for his mom, who packed up all the other kids and left without even giving Tommy a forwarding address. Kiss my ass. Nothing. She just packed up and left and didn't tell him shit. And as, as can be expected this filled Tommy with rage and he t- ended up taking it out on some woman by pistol whipping her until she lost consciousness that that was never confirmed but this is something that he claimed he did like he claims he's done a lot of stuff that can't be confirmed but it doesn't mean it didn't happen but it doesn't mean that it did just remember psychopaths are good at lying and manipulation um, anyway so this is when he beat started drifting from town to town he was train hopping and breaking into houses Um, And in listening to various interviews that he'd given, Tommy often tells a story about how he, uh, about his first murder after breaking into a house and seeing a man performing oral sex on a child uh, younger than seven. And this so enraged him that he killed the man. Now, based on what we know about his later crimes, I highly suspect that this was either a lie or, and he had to justify to himself why he killed the man, or if it was true, it so reminded him of what he went through as a young boy uh, with that town mo that he lost it but let's be clear about something he didn't kill this man to protect that child if that even did happen um, there but there was no evidence of any claims you know it, it nothing he claimed substantiated anything that he said you know and there there was no evidence so the question then becomes do you believe a murderer how do you know he isn't lying through his rotten teeth by telling the story he was making himself out to be a hero uh, basically controlling the narrative and how the listener of the story views him, which is a tactic of psychopaths and narcissists alike. They must control how you see them um, because they don't want you to see underneath their little mask. So in 1981, he moves to uh, Little Rock, Arkansas and tried to get back in with his family. Um, One day his mother was in the shower (laughs) And I don't know why he would think that this was a good thing, but he, uh, attempted to engage in sexual activity with her while she was taking a shower. So no, she was like, I'm done. Kicked him out for good. Get the fuck away. You're a piece of crap. And of course this, he's a screwed up kid. I mean, really, really screwed up. I think he was maybe 16, 17 at this time. He wasn't quite an adult yet. Um, but anyway, after she kicked him out, he starts working as a carney and he went back to doing what he loved to do, killing and robbing. He confessed to two murders in Arkansas before leaving for St. Louis, but only one, which is the murder of Hal, a- uh, Hal Aikens, was ever confirmed. But he was never charged with it because there wasn't evidence. The man, yes, the man was murdered, but they couldn't figure out who did it. So they can't say, oh yeah, it, we're going to blame you because that's not how it works. Um, he was in and out of jail for car theft for a lot of times. Uh, around this time, of course. So in 1984, he was working at a carnival in Forsyth, Missouri, where he met Ina Cord, uh, and that's C-O-R-D-T, who was there with her son. And according to him, and again, you have to take what he says, with a grain of salt, Cord invited him back to her house where they had sex. He caught her going through his backpack after a nap, so he says, and then beat her to death with her son's baseball bat and then turned his rage on the four-year-old boy named Rory rendering his fate the same as his his mother's. And they were discovered three days later. I mean, that's, that's disgusting. He beat this child to death for no reason. Um, Okay, so he ends up going back to jail for junk driving after crashing his car and staying for like two years there. So afterwards, he goes to Texas and is hospitalized for overdosing on heroin. After that, he steals a car and goes to California. Now, you understand that this is just like a bird's eye view. This is this... There's so much that's going on at this time. These are just what he's told everybody and what they are been, they've been able to verify. Um, see, where, where, where the heck am I? Okay, so uh, after he gets to California, he steals a car. And now along the way, he's still killing people. Um, he's believed to have shot a stranger in St. Louis and then a woman in California named Jennifer Dewey. Um, it's also believed that he's responsible for the death of 19-year-old Michelle Xavier, who was found dead with her throat cut. And while in Nevada in 1987, he drugged and strangled Stephanie Stroh, uh, with whom he was living, and then weighed her feet down with concrete and disposed of her body in a hot spring in the desert. This is never confirmed because they never found her body. Um, he states that he killed a woman that same year in New York named Suzanne Kors, Kors? K-O-R-C-Z. Um, so this next story is probably one of the worst I've ever heard. This is really what got to me uh, the most in researching this. This this is what cinched it for me. Um, it's the stuff of nightmares. Um, so according to his interviews, uh, he says that he met a man named Keith Dardine while he was hitchhiking in St. Louis. I'm sorry, no, he was in Illinois. He said that Keith offered him a ride and insinuated that he'd come home. And have a threesome with his pregnant wife. Sells says that Keith made a pass at him which just really pissed him off and the end result was that he shot the man and cut off his penis. Shot the man and cut off his penis. Uh, Reports vary because some say that Keith was killed first and then other reports say that Sells kept him alive so that he could watch what came next. Sells claims to have taken a hammer at that point and beat their three-year-old son Pete to death and then turning towards Eileen Dardine, I'm sorry not Eileen, Elaine Dardine. He raped her and beat her over the head with a hammer and again reports very um, saying that she was seven months, some say she was nine months and very pregnant but either way what is clear is that the trauma caused her to have an early labor. Cells took the bat and beat the newborn to death and then killed her mother. That's what got me because when I when I hear stories like this, my mind automatically goes to setting it up in my head and that's not something you even want to see in your head and that's just, it's disgusting. So anyway, after that, he inserted the bat into her vagina, put the kids in the bed with their mother before leaving and their deaths went unsolved for 12 years before he confessed. If he had never been caught and never confessed, they never would have figured out who the fuck did this to her. And those babies. And her husband. Just, it, it's awful. <sighs> so, uh, Sells went on a murderous spree, um, murderous crime spree across the country, but much of what he claims is unsubstantiated. He confessed years later in prison that he murdered a boy named Joel Kirkpatrick, uh, a 10-year-old boy, and then wrestled with his mother, but he didn't kill her. And that's that's what kind of, they were like, what? He wrestled, he killed the, ba- he killed the boy, but he didn't kill the mom. In almost any situation that he's been in before, he's killed the parents and the kid. But anyway, um, the boy's mother, uh, Julie Harper, was found guilty of his murder and was incarcerated at the time. And it would take another two years for her to be released after his confession. It's crazy. And his motive for the crime was that Julie had been rude to him in a convenience store. So he followed her home and murdered her son to teach her a lesson. What? What? What the fuck? <sighs> Teach her a lesson because she was rude to him. I just, I don't, I, I, I don't understand that. So anyway, because of his transient ways and roaming around the country, murdering and raping anyone in his path, he was called the coast to coast killer because his crimes were so numerous. We're going to start with 1988 and go through his crimes as a list. All right. So here's a list of at least a comprehensive list of, what crimes he has either admitted to or is suspected of being part of. Okay, so December 1988 in Tucson, Arizona, Sells kills Ken Loughton over a bad drug deal. Between December and January, uh, uh, December 98, January ni- uh, 89, uh, Sells murders an unknown woman and her three-year-old son in Salt Lake City, Utah, disposing of their bodies in the Snake River in Idaho. Uh, January nineteen eighty nine in Illinois, after murdering the Dardine family, Sells is arrested for stealing a car. He takes off before his scheduled court, apparent, court appearance. Also that same month in Lawrence, Massachusetts, he kills Melissa Trembley, eleven years old. He raped and murdered her. Uh, end of that month in California, he's all over the God. He is all over the place. Um, he sell or he I'm sorry. <laughs> Sells kills an unnamed prostitute and disposes of her body. The unidentified woman's body was found at a location that he describes to the police. April of 89, in Roseburg, Oregon, he kills an unnamed woman in her 20s. May 9th of 1989, he kills a female hitchhiker. That same day, he is arrested for stealing from his employer. He spends 15 days in jail. August 16th, 1989, in Little Rock, Arkansas, he's arrested on theft charges. October 18th, 1989, in Oakland, California, Sells is charged with public drunkenness and put into detox. November, he is in Carson City, Nevada, and is charged with public drunkenness again. December of that year, <clears throat> for, some, for somebody who doesn't like to be in control, why is he drinking and doing drugs so much? I, I, I don't know, because he's not in control. December 1989, Phoenix, Arizona, he's hospitalized for a heroin overdose. January of 1990, in Salt Lake City, Utah, he's arrested on charges of cocaine possession, but is released after police determine he was not in possession of the drugs. January 12, 1990, in Rawlings, Wyoming, he's arrested and sent to prison for auto theft. He's released in January of 1991. So he spends a year in prison in Wyoming. December of 1991, in Florida, Sells uh, kills Teresa Hall, 28, and her 5-year-old daughter. March and April of 1992 in Charleston, South Carolina, he's arrested for public drunkenness. In May, th- May 13th of 1992 in Charleston, West Virginia, uh, he's in prison for raping, beating, and stabbing a 20-year-old woman who survived the attack. He ascends to two 10-year two prison, cer- prison terms but he's released in May of 1997, so he is convicted and sentenced to two 10-year sentences to which he only spends five years in prison. Yeah, that, that, that's about right. He gets out of prison in October of 19, 1997 in Lawrenceville, Illinois. He attacks Julie Ray Harper and stabs 10-year-old Joel Kirkpatrick to death, and she ended up going to prison for that murder. October 1997, in Springfield, Springfield, Missouri, sells kidnaps, rapes, and strangles a 13-year-old girl named Stephanie Mahaney. October 1998, a year later, uh, in Del Rio, Texas, sells marries a woman with three children. The couple uh, separated for two weeks in February 1999, and again, late March 1999. Can you imagine what it's like being married to this dude? Oh, my God. Okay, so then, um, March... 30th, 1999, Del Rio, Texas, sells rapes and murders Debbie Harris, 28, and 8 year old Ambria Harris. April 18th, 1999, San Antonio, Texas, sells rapes and strangles 9 year old Mary Perez. 9 years old, he's raping and murdering 9 year olds. May 13th, 1999, Lexington, Lexington, Kentucky sells rapes and murders 13-year-old Haley McCone, and then sells her bike for $20. Like, oh my god. Mid-May to June 24th, 1999, in Madison, Wisconsin, uh, sells is jailed for drunk and disorderly conduct. July 3rd, 1999, Kingfisher, Oklahoma, sells, kills, uh, shoots and kills 14-year-old Bobby Lynn Walford. And this brings us to his last crime, December 31st, 1999, or January 1st, 2000, it was, it was pretty much January 1st, uh, in Del Rio, Texas, sorry my cat's going crazy, uh, Sells commits his final act of murder and kills 13-year-old Kayleen Harris and attempted to murder 10-year-old Crystal Sorles. So, as stated earlier in the show, it was this final act that did him in. What's remarkable about this crime spree was that he killed strangers up until that last murder. He knew Kayleen's adopted father. He knew Terry Harris. They attended church together, were acquaintances, and I think um, Terry had tried to sell him a car or something. Um, And he knew that Terry uh, would not be there that evening. And when a snake sees a hole, he just slithers slithers right in. So how did Crystal, a 10-year-old child, bring down this monster? Well, it was simple. She survived. Uh, and she paid attention to what he looked like. I think I think she recognized him, but didn't know his name. But like I said, those are those are one of those conflicting reports, like I said earlier. They said that she was 13, no, she's 10. This happened, no, this happened. So when Cells had reached up to cut her throat, he sliced through her vocal cords, but only nicked her carotid artery. She played dead until he left and then snuck out of the house afterwards. <clears throat> Excuse me. She assumed everyone was dead, so she didn't bother going room to room. She just wanted to go out and get help. So she ran down the street, went to a house, but after getting no response, she ran across the street from that house to a trailer home and pounded on the door. Uh, They took her in, and she had to write down all of her responses because she couldn't speak. Uh, But she was able to give the police a description, and soon Sells was arrested and charged with the murder of Kayleen Harris and the attempted murder of Crystal Searles. On September 18th, 2000, nine months after the murder, he was found guilty and sentenced to death. Three years after that, he would be indicted for the murder of Stephanie Mahaney, who was 13 years old at the time uh, of her murder. And that same year he pled guilty to strangling and raping a nine-year-old girl named uh, Mary B. Perez from San Antonio. So even though he killed probably in his estimate, and like I said, grain of salt, his estimate probably more than 70 people. He says, I never kept track, but if you consider five to six a year for 20 years, uh, that adds up, that's way more than 70. But we don't wanna really wanna give him credit. I mean. So anyway, April 3rd, 2014, he's executed. After all the talking that he did with the reporters, he declined to make a statement. So they gave him a a lethal dose of pentobarbital. He closed his eyes, began to snore, and 13 minutes after that, he died. So it was basically like the monster had gone to sleep. Uh, But that's it. That's pretty much the whole case of Tommy Lynn Searles. And I got to be honest, I'm glad I'm out of that rabbit hole. Um, this is a nasty murder, uh, a whole, the whole thing, all the murders were nasty, but this was just a nasty man and I'm just glad that he's no longer out there able to do this to anybody else. All right, stay tuned for the spin. We're about to figure out what we're going to do the next time. So before we go and we do that final spin, I want to let you guys listen to a few clips of him talking and then I'm going to do a little bit of commentary on that and then we'll get into that spin. I had something against that person, uh-huh. and, 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 and there was another person there that witnessed it. I didn't want them to uh, carry that on their shoulder the rest of their life. Uh-huh.
1: Does that make sense? Yeah, you were putting out of the misery they would have had if they had to live through all that. That's the best I can answer it. Uh-huh. If it was just a question of putting the
0: other person, besides the one that you were targeting... Uh, out of the misery of having to live life with missing mama or missing, you know, whoever, um, maybe you would have gone about it in a gentle way. Is there a gentle way? Yeah. Oh, How you know when they'd strap you to a gurney that, that everything inside of you just ain't burning up? Well, there's a difference. And, and, and they say that's humane? Okay, so let's dissect the statement here. He's saying that he killed the kids that he killed to put them out of their misery so that they didn't have to live with what he did to their parents okay so this is why I have such a problem with the statement because many of the kids that he killed were his intended targets okay so let's go through the list of what I've been able to find because a lot of these you can't really you don't know whether or not he did it because he was never charged with it however if he admitted it we're gonna we're gonna look at it so Melissa Tremblay was 11 she was raped and murdered her parents weren't raped and murdered. This wasn't one of those things that happened um, randomly. He targeted this little girl. Okay, Joel Kirkpatrick. He broke into their house and stabbed this little boy to death. The mother ended up going to jail for it, going to prison. He intended to kill that little boy. It wasn't because of her. He didn't attack the girl, the woman first. He attacked the little boy, and he did that intentionally. The little boy didn't do shit to him. It was the mother. He was trying to punish the mother. Okay, so go on to Mary Perez, nine years old. He raped and strangled her. Of that one, he was convicted. He rapes and murders 13-year-old Haley McCone. Um, He shot and murdered 14-year-old Bobby Lynn Wofford. And then, of course, his last act, he killed 13-year-old Kayleen Harris, who was his intended target. He didn't kill the parents. He didn't go in and kill the mom killed a brother. He climbed in the, the older brother's window first, but he was blind. And this little boy didn't see him. He woke up, but he didn't know who he was. He just thought somebody was messing around in his room and he went back to sleep. That's that's what I mean when I say he's a manipulative <coughs> excuse me. A manipulative narcissist because he wants to control the narrative. He wants to control your thoughts and images of him. Yeah, I did a bad thing, but I'm really not as bad as you think I am. No, he really is as bad as you think he is. He's—it's It's bullshit, is what it is. And it's proof that he's a psychopathic narcissist. They say women being raped, it's all about power. True? Uh, sometimes, a lot of times. I think it's more about sex. I, I did it for the the, the, the rush. I, I, I didn't do it for, for the, the sex for for So let's stop and talk about these two clips here. In one clip, he says that he doesn't believe that rape is about power, it's about sex. In the other one, he talks about how he didn't do it for the sex. Well, then why did you rape? It's either about the power or the sex. It could be the rush, but the rush you get from taking somebody else's power. Don't he, he's, he's trying to throw these words at it and he's trying to uh, convince you that he didn't do it for this reason. He didn't do it for that reason. So what ultimately was the reason for? He can't be completely honest because he keeps going talking out both sides of his mouth. I don't think even he understands. He just knows that he did it because he wanted to. And now he's trying to justify it and control how other people see him. I like to watch the eyes fade, the pupil fade. What do you like about that? It's just like setting their soul free.
1: It's it's a sensation tying that scarf around your neck and and just watching your eyes. It's it's, it's a sensation seeing seeing that skin pull apart. It's it's a sensation
0: sticking that knife in and, and just pulling on, it's sharp enough just go all the way up, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's not the person it's about the sensation of, 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 of what you're into. Now I think he's starting to be a little bit more honest because he's talking about how these sensations that he's feeling are really what he's going for but listen to his description the sensation of um, taking the knife and ripping it up somebody's body the <clears throat> excitement that comes from pulling the skin apart from watching the eyes bulge in his head that's control he tries to say it's not about controlling my victim but everything he just described is about controlling another person you're controlling their death you are controlling the narrative don't don't believe it when they sit here and say well it's this it's not this it's no bullshit It's all about the fact that little Tommy Sells didn't have any control over his life. So fuck everybody else. I'm going to take control and show you what a big bad man I am. It's a little man syndrome. And it's really easy to fall into his narrative because he has that pleasant oh boy country voice. But really, no, he's just a snake in disguise. I want to make a quick correction. I don't want to go back and re-record everything because it's already pretty much set. But um, when I said that um, Crystal Searles's, uh vocal cords were severed, that was incorrect. It was her, they had cut her wind. He had cut her windpipe uh, and nicked her vocal cords, so she couldn't really talk. But once they had surgery, uh, she was able to do so. So it was not that her vocal cords were severed; they were nicked. It was her windpipe that was cut. So I wanna talk a little bit about the surviving victim of Tommy cells, Crystal Searles. Um, Five years before the attack, um, her parents had started using drugs. Uh, So this puts her at about five to six years old. Um, She kind of becomes the Fiona Gallagher of her family. She's taking care of her siblings. She has two to three sisters, I think it is. I think she has three. Um, But she was the one changing diapers, helping feed them, get them, you know, taken care of, as well as getting herself to school. Um, Eventually, her mom settles down and uh, divorces the dad. Um, And this left her really angry at her father. She felt like her dad had kind of abandoned them because once the mom settled down, the dad still just wanted to go out and party. So at the time of this attack, uh, he was in jail. And it he carried a lot of guilt for a long time because he was in jail and couldn't protect his daughter. And she was very angry at him because she didn't understand why he couldn't come and see her in the hospital. Why he wasn't there while well, he was in jail uh, because of his drug habit. But anyway, in this, in this next clip, um, this comes from a documentary called Live to Tell. Um, it was aired on CBS and most of the clips are from that documentary. Of her talking so I wanted her to tell her story in her words and I wanted you guys to hear that so here is uh, Crystal Searles talking about the incident and subsequently trying uh, I'm sorry subsequently um, testifying in his trial and that kind of helped put him away that that did help put him away (laughs) Uh, here we go we went to bed kind of
1: late but I remember I woke up to like a scream I was on the top bunk of the bed, and I just popped my, you know, popped my head up a little bit, and I was looking around. Um, I never sat up fully or anything, but the light was on, so I could see. I could see at the end of the bed um, this scary guy. He had scruffy hair, long, dark, curly hair, and a big, scary, long, bushy beard that you know just took over his whole face and then his eyes were just dark and and mean but then I I saw that Katie had blood on her and that he had a knife in his hand he had a knife across her throat and his hand on her mouth and he just cut her throat she fell to the ground he still didn't notice us in the room and he was getting ready to leave he opened the door almost had the light off, looked one last time, and, and he saw me looking at him. I was trying to scoot to the right side of the bed cause he was on the left. He just reached over and cut my throat like this. And then I just remember laying there and the light turning off and I heard the door shut. I was laying there thinking, has he been to the other rooms? Does he know that the whole family's here? You know, is everybody hurt? Are they all dead? And so I got on my hands and knees and I was crawling across the floor in the bedroom and I came across Katie on the floor. She was kind of making um, a gasping noise or maybe she was choking. Um, But then I was trying to comfort her. I I laid next to her, rubbing her back and and that's when I realized I couldn't talk because all I wanted to say was everything's gonna be okay, everything's gonna be okay, but I couldn't. And then, I mean, as soon as she stopped making those noises, I had this feeling. You know get out of here get up come on go don't lay here go it was dark outside i was in my pajamas no shoes nothing and i just decided i saw a light in the distance i was like that's my goal that's where i need to be um i just got on the road and walked really slow to that light really all i could think about was just get to this house just get to this house just get to this house and i just banged on their door and i i hear a gentleman he's like Who's there? Who's there? You know, I can't and I can't talk. So I'm just banging as hard as I can on the door And then he opens the door I have a little girl just rang my doorbell the door. I couldn't get the picture out of my head and It amazes me how good that they sketched it compared to how we really looked at the time because it was so perfect He was like crystal It it happened. There's nothing we can do now, but look you're here, you know, and he's caught and, and think, if this would have never happened, he would still be out there. Who would he be hurting right now? I'm just lucky. People, you know, say I'm brave and, and everything. No, I'm just lucky. I felt fine to know that I had to eventually see him. Because I felt like he couldn't conquer me. You know, he had his chance. And he obviously, you know, didn't do what he wanted. And, and now look at him he was gonna be in that trial room because of me and i liked feeling that power the day i had to testify i you know i woke up i can do this i can do this i said mom don't cry please don't cry if i see you in the crowd bawling you're gonna distract me you know you're gonna make me upset please don't and then when they called me down, I was like, I'm ready, I'm ready. They, you know, said, do you wanna walk by him? Um, you could either walk by him or just walk through the store and get on um, the stand. And I said, I wanna walk by him. I'm, I'm not scared of him. I just had such a mindset that this is what I wanted to do. Um, and this is what I had to do. I put my, my thoughts towards Katie. Like, this is for Katie. This, she deserves this. Because his hand was over her mouth. Whose hand was over her mouth? His hand. But when I got up there and then had to talk, that's when my nerves came. I had to point him out and look at him and say, that guy.
0: The man with the blue jacket and the glasses?
1: Yes. That's whenever I realized, that guy is right there.
0: Uh, Crystal, if you need for me to stop at some point in time, I'll stop.
1: I tried not to focus any attention on him, though, after I just had to point him out. Uh, He he was making me nervous. He was shaking his leg and wouldn't even look up at me or anything. What was the defendant doing, and what was Katie doing? Katie was... Okay. He, He was... It was just really overwhelming at that point my emotions took over and and i couldn't answer any more questions so they had to do a recess for 15 minutes and pull me aside they just pulled me to the back room my mom ran back there my you know attorney and everybody was just back there saying crystal you're almost done you can do it you can do it i wiped my tears and i went right back out there and i was i i was on i was on it i did it i had to walk in front of the the jury and point out my scar and I had to you know lay on this table that um and showed how I popped my head up. Is this how you were lying there? Did you tell us why you had your hands up close to your neck? Because I saw what he did to Katie and I was scared he was going to do it to me. You're a brave young woman. Thank you. No more questions. For him to just say I don't have any questions for you I was like really you know. Okay, really? You know, you don't wanna ask anything? Even his attorney just made me feel good about the whole situation. Like, even though he had to be there to defend him, that he was still on my side. As soon as I stepped off the stand, I felt so good and relieved, very relieved. Just pressure off my shoulders, I got through this, I'm fine, you know? And we're gonna find out what's gonna happen to him soon.
0: All right, everybody, it's that time in the podcast where we spin that wheel. All right, the next case is going to be awesome. It's going to be about kids who kill. And it just may be a two-parter. Join us next time on the Wheel of Crime podcast. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining me on episode number four of the Wheel of Crime podcast. Again, special shout out to Sean for his listener suggestion. Thanks, Dad. All right, guys. Have a great week. Be awesome. Don't be a dick. here? Why are you still here? We go through this every week. The episode's over. Go home now. Toodaloo. The fuck out.